Well, today we're in Daniel chapter 9. We've been walking through God's Word, which is uh, this year. It's been a a great, great experience. In fact, I found out this week we have over 11,000 people that are on the YouVersion app that are actually reading through God's Word with us, and then many more, uh, many of you here in this room that are not using the YouVersion app. You're doing it, uh, you know, by printing it out from online or whatever it might be. But think about that many people walking through God's Word together, how powerful that is. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll change your life. And so it's an encouragement to me, and I pray it is to you, that we have that many people that together are walking through God's Word. We've been preaching through as we've been walking through. This past week we were in the book of Ezekiel and kind of walking through that. And today we're going to be in Daniel, but I I just want you to know as we walk into the book of Daniel, Ezekiel and Daniel are, are kind of sister books in a way. They're both major prophetic messages that are found in the Old Testament. They're contemporaries of one another. Ezekiel and Daniel both lived at the same time. They were both uh, around 600, 605 B.C. when uh, when Babylon came and took uh, Judah into captivity, when they sieged Jerusalem, and, and that captivity began. Ezekiel and Daniel were, were, were partners in that. They were, they were there at the same time. And Daniel was 15 years old. He was younger than Ezekiel, but Ezekiel actually references Daniel. When you read in Ezekiel chapter 14, you see the, uh, the, the, the correlation between the two. And to be honest with you, I was going to actually preach this week. I was going to preach from the book of Ezekiel because I've preached from uh, the book of Daniel a number of times here. But I, I was going to be in Ezekiel today, but, but I changed my mind just a couple of days ago. And I changed my mind because I was actually talking with my wife, Sherry, who was reading through the book of Daniel. She was uh, kind of a little bit ahead of the game there. And and she was in Daniel chapter 9, and she was reading this passage, and she was talking with me about how meaningful it was to her and how uh, there were things that she pulled out of that passage. She was talking about it. She was showing me some things. And and I'll be honest with you, I was like, you know, you're wiser than I am. That's actually a really good passage this week. And so that's where we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9 because it's a, it's a powerful statement for each and every one of us on how to kind of navigate some critical moments in our lives of how, of how we're going to deal with some things that, that we might be going through and what our responses are going to be, how we're going to respond to and with other people and how we're going to live our lives according to God's Word. And so uh, today we're going to walk through a little passage, and then towards the end of the message, I'm going to give you just a a real quick four-point strategy that comes from uh, that prayer, that passage in Daniel chapter 9 that I think you ought to underline, circle, write, you know, whatever, highlight in your phone, whatever it is, so that you can actually use the life of Daniel, who was a great, great prophet, but also a great example uh, in his life, that you can use that to kind of like walk through the, the seasons of your life. And so in this passage, we're going to start in Daniel chapter 9. Again, you know, it's back around 605 B.C. that, uh, that Jerusalem was, was sieged by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. They were taken into captivity. But this passage we're about to go in is, is about 70 years later. It's, it's about, you know, he's now 80, 83 years old or so, and, and he's kind of towards the, the end of his journey, the end of his life. He's looking back on a pretty eventful life. If you read the first six chapters in the book of Daniel, the kind of a historical narrative of his life, he had a pretty interesting life, didn't it? You think about going, you know, being taken into captivity away from his family at 15, and then, you know, he had got to watch his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace, he himself thrown into the lion's den. I mean, he had some stories to tell, didn't he? 
And so when you think about that life, there's some things that he learned, some things that he walked through that I think are going to be helpful to us today. So let's read from Daniel chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. And it says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom in the first year of his reign. So that kind of dates it for us. And again, we're now at about 538, 537 BC. He is about 70 years old. So let's keep reading this passage. It says, I, Daniel, understand from the books according to the word of the Lord of the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. Now, let's just pause right there. If you go back, we don't need to turn there, but in Jeremiah chapter 25, uh, Jeremiah talks about this, this desolation, this captivity that was going to take place beginning in 605 BC. And Jeremiah talked about that, and it would be a 70-year journey. And so now Daniel is looking back on that past 70 years, and it's about 70 years that they've been in captivity. So he knows, according to the word of God, according to the, the word that God gave to Jeremiah, they're coming to the end of this season. They're coming to the end of this captivity that he has spent his entire adult life experiencing. They're coming to that back end of it. They're coming to the end of that moment. And so Daniel has some thoughts to share here that God has given to him. So he says that the, the desolation would be 70. Now listen to these words. So I, Daniel, turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, oh Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us. The men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, in all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty that they have shown towards you, Lord, public shame belongs to us and our kings, our leaders, and our ancestors because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Now, the reason this is such an interesting prayer that, that Daniel is uh, giving to us, that we're walking through and, and looking at here today is because when you look in the life of Daniel, it starts in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, where it says that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel was a man who followed after God. Like David, you could say he was a man after God's own heart, someone that, that would not compromise in the face of a culture that was trying to get him to give in, to, to, to lean into the culture, to become more like the world than, than rather than like God. He, he was that kind of person who was willing to stand on truth, to stand faithful to the Word of God. And yet you read this prayer and you maybe can get a little bit confused because he's sitting there saying, hey, God, we've sinned against you. We have rebelled. We've acted wickedly. We've done all of these awful and horrible things. We have walked down the path of disobedience. We've not listened to your word. We've not followed after what you have for us, what you've called us to do. And so it's interesting that Daniel is writing these words because he was a person that, according to God's word, was someone that had literally followed after God in every setting, everywhere that we see uh, the life of Daniel, the historical narrative of Daniel. He's someone who, who is leaning into the truth of God's word. 
And so when you read this, it kind of gets a little bit confusing, but in a moment, we're going to kind of tie it all together so we'll kind of understand exactly why it is that Daniel's writing these words, what he's thinking, what's going through his heart, what's going through his mind, what God is revealing to him in these moments. And so today what I want to do is kind of walk through this moment of prayer, walk through this revelation that, that he has given to us, this, this, this statement that he's making to help us in our own journey. Because just like Daniel, every single one of us are living in a culture where we are constantly uh, tempted to compromise our faith. We are living in a culture where we are always being pulled away from what is right to try to become more like what is wrong. Every single thing that you pick up, when you go online, when you watch movies, when you read books, when you watch the news, everything that's out there, all the culture, all the situations that we kind of walk into every single day, like everything wants us to give in and to compromise and to change what we believe. And so we're kind of in the same boat that Daniel was in. We're kind of in that same picture, that same kind of thought process, that same kind of moment that Daniel was walking through. And so in walking through these moments, we can learn a lot from how to respond, how to deal with it, how to walk through it from the life of Daniel. And the first thing that Daniel teaches us is this, is that when we're facing great conflict, when we're facing great uncertainty, when we're walking through those moments where everything seems to be off kilter, when everything seems to be going wrong, the first thing we must do is we must know where our deliverance comes from. We have to know the deliverance comes from God. It doesn't come from our own abilities. It doesn't come from what we can do, what we can accomplish. It doesn't come from our wisdom or our, our intelligence. It doesn't come from our money or status or power or fame. It comes from God. Look what happens here, what he says here in verse 3. In the midst of all this captivity, all this stuff, that they're coming to the end of this moment, knowing what God had predicted through the prophet Jeremiah, look what he says. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petition. I turn my attention to the Lord God. Right there, you ought to underline that in your Bible because that is a great lesson. That is a great statement, a great moment. Now remember now, Daniel has seen some miraculous things. He has walked through some experiences in his journey, in his life that, that just don't make sense. You go back to Daniel chapter one when he was ripped away from his family, taken into captivity, marched off to Babylon, living there in, the, in, in the, the king's palace, but really kind of in jail, kind of imprisoned by, by the king. And, and yet it says there in verse 8 that he purposed in his heart not to defile himself, that he would not eat uh, of the king's table. He would not compromise in his beliefs that he wanted to do things his way, according to the way that God had instructed him. He told the captain of the guard, I'm going to live this way, I'm going to do this, and just watch me, see me, test me, to see that if I live for God, that God's going to honor that. And we know the story, right? So... So, so God elevated him in, in, in authority. God elevated him in stature, a stature because of what he was willing to do to not compromise. And you keep marching through as God revealed to him the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar was having, that, that, that God used Daniel as a, as a powerful force there, and, and the king saw him in a, in, in a great, great light because of what God allowed him to do. You go into Daniel chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. And this wasn't just like your everyday normal fiery furnace. This was like the turbo model. I mean, it was like ratcheted up, turned up. In fact, it even says that those who threw them in, that they were consumed, that they died. But yet, you know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are walking through the fire, and they're like just having a party. 
They're just hanging out there and everything's good, everything's fine. Uh, they might have asked for a sweater in the middle of that fiery furnace. I have no idea because they were so comfortable. Everything was good. And so Daniel had seen that because they were his friends. They had seen the deliverance that comes from God. And then, of course, in Daniel chapter 6, when some people were tired of Daniel being elevated, they were tired of Daniel being successful. They were tired of the slave continued to be promoted above them. They came up with a plan. You know the story. They came up with the idea that they were going to write a law, make a law that no one could bow down to anyone but the king. And of course, Daniel was known to be a person who bowed down to God and God alone. And so when the law was signed, when Daniel knew that he would do so at his own peril, it says in Daniel chapter 6 that he did what was his custom. He went up into his house and he opened the windows towards Jerusalem and he bowed down and he prayed to his Lord, the God. He prayed to God and he would not compromise. He would not bow down to the king. And of course, they thought they had him. They thought, hey, we've got him now. This is it. We're going to take him down. And so they went to the king, and the king, uh, you know, regrettingly that he had signed, uh, regretting that he had signed the law, they throw Daniel into the lion's den. He's sitting there in the lion's den. They leave him there all night long. They come back the next morning again. You know the story. Daniel's sitting in there. He's just hanging out. You know, he's probably leaning up against one of the lions and, you know, just kind of having a, a nice little snooze, a nice little nap. You know, he might have had some, you know, dog treats in his pocket. And he, you know, he's there. they're just having a party in the lion's den. And so the king's happy. They take Daniel out. And the king decides, hey, what I did was wrong. And they throw in those who had conspired against Daniel into the lion's den. And I love this part of the story. It says that, that before they even hit the bottom of the pit, that the lions consumed them. Like when they threw them in, as they're dropping down, the lions jumped up and ate them before they hit the ground. So Daniel had seen some miraculous things. Daniel had seen the deliverance that comes from God. He had learned that in the midst of great tribulation, you don't sit there and try to figure out a way out. You don't sit there and try to figure out how I'm going to do this. You don't figure out, like, like, what can I do? What changes can I make? Who can I talk to? Who can help me? It says here, I turned my attention to the Lord because he knew that was his best and only hope. Great lesson for all of us. He knew that's where he needed to turn. He knew that's where he needed to run because God was the source. He was the deliverance that we all needed. And so that's the first thing we learned. The second thing we learned is this, is that when we turn to God, the first thing we do, we have to turn to God is not run to him and say, God, hey, I need you to help me here. God, I need you to deliver me. God, I need you to get me out of this mess that I've caused. No, what we need to do secondly that Daniel teaches us is we need to make things right with God. We got to make sure that we like get everything in the right place with God. Look what it says here in verses four and five. Daniel says, I pray to the Lord my God and confessed, ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and your ordinances. In other words, over and over again, here's what he says. God, we have messed up. God, I've sinned before you. He understood the principle, even though the, the book hadn't been written yet, he understood the principle of Romans chapter 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He knew that he had blown it. 
He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he was not worthy. And he knew that if he was going to see once again the deliverance that only came from and through God, that things had to be right with God. Another great lesson for all of us. Now again, it's interesting that when you think about this prayer, this statement that Daniel is making, it's coming from a guy who had already purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He had already purposed like he was going to live a righteous life. And, and every, every picture we have of his history, of his narrative, everything that we've got in God's word tells us that he followed after that principle day in and day out. So why is it that he's sitting there saying, man, we've sinned. We've rebelled, we've acted wickedly, we've done wrong, we've disobeyed, why is that? And here's why, because he understood that it wasn't all about him. He understood that while he might've been a person who would not defile himself, that he aligned himself with everyone else, even though he knew he was a sinner and he knew that he, you know, certainly like everyone else that he had blown, he was not worthy. He understood the, the holiness of God. But man, we've got to get in that place in our own journeys, in our own lives, where we just, man, we just get right with God. We can't expect God to always kind of get us out of the fire if we're sitting there living however we want to live and doing whatever we want to do and with no concern at all with how we are serving him, walking with him, obeying him, living for him. You've got to turn from your wicked ways if you expect God to do what only God can do. And so he understood that we had to make things right with God. He knew that's where his deliverance would come from. But then also, listen to this. We learned this as well. Of making things right with God, he also teaches us this, that when we do this, when we come to him, God, I'm messed up, God, I've sinned, God, I've blown it over and over again, that we don't just run off into the, okay, now, and now I've said that, so God, here's what I need you to do. We need to learn to listen. We need to learn to listen to God. Look what it says in this passage, verses six and seven. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and leaders and ancestors and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but, but this day, public shame belongs to us. You ought to underline in your Bible, we have not listened. Because I think that's a picture of so many of us sitting in this room. I talked about a minute ago that 11,000 uh, people that are part of our church family have been walking through, uh, you know, God's word with us in you version alone, just in this, in this first half of the year. And that's awesome. That's incredible. And that's an great encouragement to be to all of us. But what we have to recognize is this, it's pretty much every person sitting in this room, every person watching right now by television or listening by radio, we are all guilty of not truly listening to God. Because we get so distracted by the things of life. We get so distracted by everything that's running around all the time. And yet we have in our hands, we have in our shelves, we have on our night table stands, sometimes sitting you know, by our favorite chair at home. We have God's word. We have it on our phones. We have it in our pockets. We have God's word with us every single day. And yet we so often fail to hear what God has to say. God's given us his picture. He's given us his revelation. He's given us his story. He's given us the narrative that we need to figure out how to navigate all the stuff that we have in life. And yet we don't listen. So Daniel teaches us and he understands, yes, we have to know that our deliverance comes from God. And yes, we have to recognize and, and understand that, that we have to make things right with him, that we have to seek him for uh, you know, forgiveness of our sins. Yes, we have to do that. But then we have to sit back and listen to God's direction. You see, so often we want God along with us on the journey to get us through in victory, but we're not willing to listen to see what he tells us to do. 
because we just want him along as a, you know, kind of a passenger rather than someone who's actually leading. We have to listen to God. We have to listen to what he says. We have to listen to his heart. We have to listen to his direction. And we have to listen. And why is that? Well, we clear from this passage. Clearly, we understand because righteousness belongs to him. Like it's him. It's his righteousness. It's it's his goodness that's going to lead us through. If you skip through a few verses over into verses 18 and 19, listen to what it says. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that bear your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Now listen, if you've got your Bible open, if you've got a, you know, your phone open with this passage in there, I want you to underline and, and highlight some things right now, because I'm going to give you that four-point strategy that Daniel gives to us. And this is a strategy that you, if you can grab a hold of this, use this for the rest of your lives, I promise you, it's gonna make life so much better walking with God. So again, we go back to this passage. The first part of the strategy is this, Lord, hear. In other words, what Daniel's telling us, our first, first thing that we do, our first step, our first statement is we have to cry out to God in every situation, in every moment, in every heartache, in every conflict, in every challenge, in every division, whenever we seem to be oppressed, whenever we seem to have things that are falling down on us, bearing down on us, falling down all around us. First thing, God, here, we must cry out to God. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. It says this, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things that you do not know. Let me just tell you, when you are in one of life's most difficult moments, that's when I want God to tell me things that I don't know. That's when I want God to reveal to me things that I can't even understand, that I can't even imagine, that I can't even comprehend or or focus on or figure out or even imagine that is possible. That's when I want God to show up and do that. And God promises to do it. So, so the first one, Lord, hear. The second one, Lord, forgive. So in other words, we cry out to God in the midst of every situation. And the second thing we do, the first thing we do in the midst of that crying out to God is confession and repentance. God, I am sorry. And you sit back, well, yeah, but I don't really have, yes, you do. We are all sinners. You say, well, I really haven't, yeah, yes, you have, I promise you. If you are alive, if you are breathing, if your heart is beating, you are a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. You might be a redeemed sinner by the grace of Christ because he died and because he rose again, but that doesn't take away your sin. We're still sinners. And so we have to recognize confession and repentance has to be part of our journey. Look what it says in Psalm 32, verse 5, where it says this, "'Then I acknowledged my sin to you "'and did not conceal my iniquity.'" I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Long before 1 John 1, 9 was ever written, we get the promise here that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have to cry out to God. Then we have to confess and repent of our sins. The third one, Lord, listen. All here in this passage, in this verse, Lord, listen. And here's what that is. Then we make our heart's desires known to him. We come to him with our concerns. We come to him with our petitions. We come to him with our needs. He wants to hear those things. 
Look what it says in Philippians chapter four, verse six. Don't worry about anything. How would you like to actually pull that one off, right? Don't worry about anything. Goes on to say, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That is the Holy Spirit of God telling you, hey, come tell me what you need. That's encouraging, don't you think? Talk about he's our living hope. And he's telling us here, hey, listen, what do you need? But like, he's just like, I'm ready. I'm ready to help. I'm there for you. I'm right there. Whatever you need, come talk to me. Now listen, hey, cry out to me. Absolutely do that. But hey, confess, like get, get things right with me. Get, get that sin confessed and, and I promise you I'll forgive you. And then tell me, what do you need? This is encouraging stuff. So it's Lord, <laughs> hear. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. And here's the next one. And believe that God will act. Trust that God will act. Recognizing that our deliverance is in his hand and his hand alone. Guys, I'm telling you, that four-part strategy that he gives to us right there is something that will change your life. If you just simply put it into practice. Crying out to God. Repenting and confessing. God, I'm sorry. God, I messed up. And then, God, I really need you. I need you in this moment. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And then believing that our God actually can, will, and desires to act on your behalf. You want to talk about how he's our living hope? When you believe in that four-part strategy that Daniel gives to us here, when you believe that with all of your heart, when you like lean into the truth that it gives, here's what I know. You'll begin to understand what living hope really means. And you know what's really cool? is because Daniel lived this way. If you go over into Daniel chapter 10, remember how I told you, by the way, that, that like Sherry like is really just like talking about this passage and like, like really just leaning, like really just like kind of annoying me a little bit, you know, like, like, like talking about this so much this week, you know? Remember, I told you that, right? You remember that a little while ago? Do you remember that? Raise your hand, come on. Do you remember that? Yeah. So I preached this message in the last service. During the invitation of the last service, she texted me and she started fixing all the things I said wrong. But then she pointed out a passage that was in Daniel chapter 10. And in Daniel chapter 10, verse 11, and Daniel chapter 10, verse 19, you know what God says of Daniel because he lived this way? You are highly treasured by God. Anybody here want to be highly treasured by God? I do. And what's cool is God tells us exactly how to get there. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the wisdom that you grant to us when, when we don't have it telling us what we need to do and how we need to live and how we need to act and where we need to turn and promising us that you will show up and that you will deliver when we need you the most. God, thank you. And God, we know that the ultimate deliverance is one that came through the gift of your son, Jesus, who came to this earth and lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary death on the cross, was buried and rose again three days later. And according to your word, that when we come to the place where we believe that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again, when we cry out to him 
and believe in his name that we will be saved. Father, I pray right now if there's someone listening to my voice that has never done that, I pray this would be the moment right here, right now, that they would make that decision. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, in a moment we're going to stand, we're going to sing together, and when we do, this altar is going to be open, our team is gathering here at the front. And I just encourage you, if you're here today and, and you just need to come and kneel at this altar, just maybe by yourself, and just, just pray, God, thank you for like giving me some, you know, some things that I can use in my life. God, thank you for that. God, help me. Be faithful in that. Maybe you need to come and you know, just kneel here and say, God, I'm sorry. for I, I've blown it. Just like Daniel said, I've messed up. I've not listened. I've not obeyed. Maybe this needs to be a time of confession for you. Maybe you, you need to come down here because you want to meet Christ today. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you about that. If you want to meet Christ, if you want to experience the salvation that comes in the name of Christ alone, the Bible says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father. No one experiences salvation except through Christ. Maybe today that's what you need to do. And our team is here. We'd love to talk with you about that. Whatever, whatever God is speaking to you as we, as we sing these words, as we say it with our hearts and we say it with our voices, Lord, I need you. Let's actually make that real. Let's make that true. Let's make that the cry of our hearts together today. Let's stand and let's sing. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest without you. we thank you. We thank you that you are our defense, that you are our righteousness, that we can lean into you no matter what we do, no matter where we are, no matter what mistakes that we make. God, that we can trust you completely. And God, I pray that in these moments ahead as we walk from this room, Lord, going out into a world where compromise is constantly pulling at us and pushing against us. God, that we will stand firm that we will make the decision as Daniel did, that we will not defile ourselves. God helps to live a life of righteousness focused on you. And God, for that, we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our altar remains open. I encourage you, come on down, kneel and pray, talk on our team, whatever it is that God is telling you to do. Have a great, great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. 
Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.